to be back again here at uh, the bridge, right? Uh, just pray. I, I, I came from I came from the ports of ports of by Pacific Coast Highway, and then I made it over here. So I spoke in the morning. I had like left at one, had 20, 30 minutes to get over here, and by God's grace, I made it. I was wondering I was going to do it, and he let me he let me get here. He's good to us, right? Uh, j- just to kind of. Uh, uh, build on what the brother was saying, trying to motivate people to, to get involved, right? That is so crucial, so important to the church life, and not only to the church life, but to the very life of your brother and sister in Christ. You know, Hebrews, it says that, um, you, you mind if we just kind of do a little side note real quick? There's no problem? Okay. This is what they call more practical theology here. Okay, watch. Go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll get to the, we'll get to the meat of it. I mean, 10, sorry, 10. You know, in, in, in chapter 10, starting with verse 19, the, the pastor of Hebrews is encouraging, he's encouraging the believers there. And he says uh, in verse 19, brothers, including sisters, since we have confidence, boldness, to enter into that most holy place uh, by, by the blood of Jesus, Right, so he's he's encouraging them and moving them in an area they need to go. And if you have any idea what the backdrop of this is, that when uh, when the uh, every year they would offer sacrifice and they would pour the blood sacrifice, only the high priest could go into the most holy place, right? But because of Christ and what He's done for us, and by the shedding of His blood, He is now encouraging the believers that they have now access. And then He'll tell you. By the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So in other words, if, if that is not huge and enormous enough to move your soul, there's some bigger, bigger problems, right? Because this is big stuff. And then he says, verse 22, let us draw near, right? Not away. Don't shrink away because... He's going to get to that. Some are going to shrink away from the faith. Because we have Christ, because he's our great high priest, because of his blood, we have confidence to draw into that most holy place now, into the very holy of holy places, and basically into the presence of God. Right? Let us draw near with a true heart, sincere heart. So opposite of true, sincere heart is a hypocritical, uh, not devoted. So he's moving them to examine themselves to see, am I going to be sincere? Am I going to be devoted with a sincere and, and, and uh, a sincere heart? And then he goes on to say, uh, sprinkle clean uh, with a true heart. I'm sorry, true heart and full assurance of faith. When with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, because there was some in the in the believing situation that were still relying on rituals and ceremonies that can cleanse them. He say, no, that don't work no more. Christ will purge you and cleanse you of an evil conscience. Uh, in other words, those are not going to cut it. It's a temporary band-aid solution. You might get feel a little bit good for a little bit, but overall, it's not going to have the power to cleanse the evil conscience. 23, so let us hold fast. Now we need to persevere. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Praise the Lord for confessions, right? 
So we have to hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Uh, like they said, well, maybe they love me today. Maybe not. Maybe today. Maybe not. No, we are to hold fast and not waver, but to persevere. For he who promised is what? Yeah, it's based on the character of God. God has made an oath. And then there's a couple places in Hebrews he actually says, I've made a vow and I'm going to keep it. So based on God's person and God's faithfulness, then we continue to press forward. And let us, here's the one, and let us consider, let us really stop and think and evaluate, how can I stir you up? How can I encourage you? How can I come alongside and maybe even poke you a little bit to, to what? To stir you up, to stir one another to love and good works, to serve and to love one another. And not, verse 25, not neglecting. In fact, that word can be translated to abandoning, deserting. Do not abandon do not desert the meeting together as is the habit of some. So in other words, some people have already began to abandon and desert the gathering. Now, you and I have to understand when we gather, we are expecting to meet with God. And how can somebody, unless there's something really not there, think about abandoning and deserting that meeting, that gathering? So that means even uh, men's meetings, women's meetings. That's why I'm kind of like going in that direction because God is going to meet and we should not desert those things. And I, and I, I get it. We get busy. We, but, but like our brother Piper said, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life because this is the rat race and nobody wins at the end. So we must be making eternal investments. And this is the idea of the writer, the pastor of Hebrews. He's trying to press and move his people. Because they're getting stuck like Chuck. They're, they're having struggles and persecution and troubles. And they're fatigued and they're tired. But now he's trying to move them into that very place where you're going to find help. Watch. So you don't neglect it as the habit of some. But you encourage one another, Right? You encourage, you exhort, you admonish. Watch this one. All the more as you what? See that little part there, the little last part? As you see. See what? The day that's approaching. So if you have spiritual perception and you really know that this day is coming because you see it, guess what you're going to do? You're going to move. And we have to be very honest and straightforward because church is not going to save you. Being always together doesn't save. Christ saved. And the evidence of salvation is the reality of fruit. Discipleship. Are, are we moving along? Are we making disciples? If, if, if Jesus said the, 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 only a good tree can, can, can bear good fruit... So uh, I want to encourage you, along with the brothers, show up. Show up on Sundays, show up on Mondays, Tuesdays, whenever, because this is an eternal investment. Don't, don't, don't waste your life. Okay, sorry. Psalm 121, let's go there. I know that was a big commercial, but sorry. I'm just encouraged to, to hear that way, and, that, and I'm encouraged the way you, 
you exhort. And that we, need, we really need that. We really do. Psalm 122. I, I was just coming from a church. They're also looking for a pastor. And they're having some struggles. And people are getting a little sluggish. And it's, a, it's, a, it's sometimes a difficult process. So sometimes we need to be admonished. We need to be stimulated. We need to be stirred up. We need to be sometimes set on fire for the Lord. Right? We have to be moved. Now, Psalm 121. I lifted my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The writer of the Psalms is asking the question, where does my help come from? He says, I lifted, to my, I lifted my eyes to the hills, and those hills are not going to help me. He's ascending into, up the hill, up the uh, journey to Jerusalem, where they would worship, and they would go to the temple. In fact, uh, Psalms, I think it's 120 through 121, and a few more are called the Ascent Psalms, because they they are journeying up to, to Jerusalem, to that very place where the presence of God is. And because the journey is a ways off, he has to begin considering a lot about this journey. Because Jerusalem sits on the hill, it's on the hilltop of Judea, but there's also dangers. Thirst, hunger, evil people, the climb, bandits, heat stroke, exhaustion from heat danger and wild animals at night, and a multitude of other problems. So us too, what are, what are our greatest concerns? What are our greatest fears? What are the threats facing you this day and this time of your life? What are those things that are staring you straight in the eyeballs? And uh, you know, and maybe nobody else knows, but sometimes you are restless and you toss and turn, and you do things to try to escape these, these concerns. Well, the writer helps us because he makes a confession, and his confession is, my help comes from who? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So his confession is built on a doctrine of the understanding of God and the doctrine of God being the creator of all things. But not only does he make a confession, in that confession also there's some promises. The blessing of promises. So his, his confidence in his, in his ground for his confidence comes from more of his knowledge and understanding of God. The doctrine of God. Who is God? Do, do you know him? Do, do you really know him, or is he just somebody that's disconnected and maybe far away? 
Uh, me and this brother, he recently passed away from stage four cancer. We were talking about this before he passed. He goes, it just seems like people have a disconnect with God. They say they know him or they say they understand him, but yet there's this large gap of their knowledge and understanding of who God is. So the writer's confidence comes from the reality of, he, of knowing who, who God is. Has anybody heard of A.W. Tozer? A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in The Knowledge of the Holy, this is what he says. He says, we, when viewed from the perspective of eternity, the most critical need of this hour may well be that the church should be brought back from her long Babylonian captivity. And the name of God be glorified in her again as of old. You must not think of the church as an anonymous body, a mystical religious abstraction. We Christians are, are the church, and whatever we do is what the church is doing. The matter, therefore, is for each of us, a personal one, any forward step in the church must begin with the individual, which is true and not true. Because I, I don't believe in individualism, but I do believe that personally you come to a relationship with God. And as you do, then corporately we gather and we are able to help and build one another up. Let me keep reading. What, we can, what, what, can, we plain, what can we plain Christians do to bring back the departed glory? Could you imagine when A.W. Tozer wrote this, there was troubles in the church. And he's asking the question, what could we do to bring back the departed glory? Is there some secret we may learn? Is there some program? Is there some way of, of, of trying to manipulate or methodology so that we can bring all this back? Is there some secret we must learn? Is there a formula for personal revival that we can apply to the present situation or to our own situation? Is there this somewhat magic uh, little maneuver we can, we can connect with and that'll take care of all the problems? Is that how it goes? The answer to these questions is yes. It is simply the old and ever new council. Listen to the old and new counsel, ever new counsel, and this is what he says, acquaint thyself with God. Acquaint thyself with God. To regain her lost power, the church must see heaven opened and have a transforming vision of God. Throughout the scriptures, any individual that had an encounter with God was not the same. But the God we must see is not the utilitarian God who is having such a run of popularity today, whose chief claim to men's attention is his ability to bring them success in their various undertakings, and who for that reason is being cajoled and flattered by everyone who wants a favor. Yeah, we're throwing the, the pitch out there. Oh, you know, come to God. He'll make your life great and wonderful, and he'll do all these things and make your life. He says, should, should we just keep doing that kind of stuff? 
The God we must learn to know is the majesty in the heavens. God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the only wise God, our Savior. He it is that sits upon the circle of the earth, who stretches out his who stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. Who bringeth out his starry host by number and calleth them by all by name through the greatness of his power? Who sees the works of man's vanity? Who puts no confidence in princesses and asks no counsels of kings? God. And this kind of knowledge cannot be gained by study alone. In other words, you can't just tickle your brain with it. Yes, you will be informed and you will receive concepts and thoughts, but, that, but those ideas and those words are spiritual and they are tended to do something to the heart. You see, the ground for the writer's confidence is that he had a knowledge and understanding of God. Who God is. He had a good grasp on his doctrine of God. How do we know? Well, let's look at his confidence. Look at his confidence. Starting with verse 3. He says, he will not. He will not let your foot be moved. Now, is that a statement of confidence? He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither, neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and you're coming in from this time forth and for how long? Forever. Forever. You see, the writer's confidence, and he tells us his confidence because over six times in this few verses, you see him, he says, the Lord is my keeper. Right? Verse 3, it is he who keeps you who will not slumber. Verse 4, it is he who keeps Israel. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, right? Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep you for going in and you're coming forth now and forevermore. Talk about confidence. Great confidence. But what does he mean? What does he mean, the Lord will keep you? Well, just the very word itself is, is, a, is a verb. It's, it's action. In other words, what he's saying is the Lord is going to guard you. The Lord is going to watch over you. The Lord is going to put a hedge about as with thorns to protect, to attend to, to observe, to have charge of. You see, this keeping is not passive. This keeping is not passive. It means that the Lord is actively, actively guarding, protecting, attending to, observing, actively guarding us. 
and it's constant. This is constant. It never fails, never falters. It's never interrupted. Not once, never interrupted. See, what's connected to the doctrine of God and his creation and creator is we call the the doctrine of guardianship. Guardianship. And, And his people understood that the Lord was their keeper. He would be the one to guard them and help them. Because we know that God, the Father, protects and guards his own. True? Does he not have his eye... On the apple. He says we are the apple of his, his eye. So the psalmist gives us three things. That God does to guard and watch over his people. Verse 3 says he will not let your foot be moved. In other words he will not let your feet slip. He will not let you totter. Stumble. Shake. He will never let your foot slip. So his confidence is coming from an encounter with the, with the God of all creation. And because he has an understanding and knowledge of God, not just in his head, but in his life and in his heart, he's able to say with great confidence. And he understands the blessings and the promises of having that relationship with God. It's in scripture. It's all over. Let's look at one. Let's look at one. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's a prayer. And in this prayer, Hannah Hannah turns, turns it into a song. 1 Samuel 2. Starting with verse 1. You no know, prayer prayer comes from an understanding and knowledge of God. That's why in the New Testament says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Because as you let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, then you're going to make songs and melodies and and praises in your heart. And the word is going to be in you so much that you sing it, you pray it, you share it, you you confess it. Hannah prays. And she doesn't pray some empty, vain prayer. As she prays, she says, My heart, my heart exalts in the Lord. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation, O God. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. 
the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes riches. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Now look at verse 9. He will do what? He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. So even, even hundreds of years later, we find that God is one that guards and protects. The psalmist, he will not let your feet stumble. Not, they will not be moved. They will not totter. They will not stumble. They will not shake. He will never let your foot slip. And Hannah, in her prayer, says, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked, the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. See, the psalmist understands who God is, but not only who God is, he has, he has the blessings of his promise. He has the understanding of who God is, not only in creation, but as, but as guardian. And that's why over six times in the psalm, he says, he will keep you, he will keep you, he will not let your foot be stumble, he will keep you from all evil. And if you think that's just Old Testament, go, go to Luke, go to Luke chapter 1, go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This is another prayer, another song. Starting with verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will be called blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for who? For me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has, he has what? He has helped. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. So in the person of God, in his decree, in his plan, he has promised to not let your feet slip, stumble, totter. You see, these prayers are filled with Filled with the doctrine of God. Filled with the knowledge of God. 
Brothers and sisters, sometimes you could spend time with people, and as you share and you interact, sometimes you get a feeling like, do they really know God? Because whatever comes out of the mouth defies the heart. And sometimes we're not hearing much about God. We're hearing a a lot of other stuff. But you see, these individuals are entrenched with an understanding of who God is. And because of that, they have great confidence based on his promise and blessing. Go back to Psalm 121. Look at the response. Look at the response. Psalm 121. He will not let your foot be smoothed, verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That is a response to verse 3. In other words, it's a strong declaration that the Lord is always always watching and never unattentive. You see the word behold? It's there for a reason. He is grabbing for their attention for them them to focus on this declaration. In other words, the, the Lord God is not like a human guard. I don't know if you've seen sometimes a places where they have security and you go up to the door and you got to go uh, <laughs> excuse me um, I know you're a little tired but I need to get some things sometimes they fall asleep <laughs> I, I, I worked at this one place and I had to get gas, gasoline and the security guard supposed to watch the place was in his car and he was <clears throat> sleeping see the, the Lord God is not like a human guard that will fall asleep when you need protection the most. The protection of God, the protection of the Lord is constant. It never fails. It never flounders. It never fluctuates. He doesn't drop the ball. It's never interrupted. It is consistent. Consistent. You see, the writer of the Psalms understands who God is. How how about you this afternoon? Do we know God in this way? And yes, I know there's times where we go to him because we have trouble and we have problems and then we feel moved to do it, but how, how how do we do on a normal, consistent basis? Because his confidence is based on some theological stakes in the ground. So when there's hardships and troubles come, this is when, I mean, not just the earth starts to shake, but our whole life starts to rock and roll and shake itself. Depression, 
confusion, hopelessness, depression. It's big stuff these days. In fact, one of the silent cries in our churches is depression and fear. Because nobody's going to say these things because how, how can we say it? We're doubting God? Oh, it happens more times than not. I'm, I'll tell you, been there, done that. I've had restless nights. There's times where I've tossed and turned. There's times where I've had to get up and literally cry to God and pray and, and, and not sleep for two hours. But the Lord is not like a human guard. He will not fall asleep. He will not fluctuate or flounder or he will never be interrupted. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord will keep you. He who keeps you will not slumber. What that tells us is that God is faithful. God is faithful. And because God is faithful, we need to be very careful that we do not call into question his person, his character. And I understand we have doubts. I understand he knows that we're human. There's times where we, we do have a little tough, rough time. But there is a fine line where eventually God takes it personal. In other words, he's, he's, he's saying to us, why would you doubt me? Have I done anything to, for you to call into question my character? See, what, he, what he's doing, he's letting them know, look, you know those idols all out there, those idols? Because in the country surrounding them, that idolatry, they worship the gods. And in particular, there's one particular account, I think you're familiar with this one, is Elijah. Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And uh, 1 Kings 18, 27. Let, let, let's just go there. Let's go there. You know, what's, the, what's the time frame? I'm sorry. Before I get too carried away. <laughs> Anybody know? Okay. Well, I'll be sensitive to it. Yeah, I'll be sensitive. Because I'll confess. I'll confess. I have a tendency to just keep on going. So I have to be careful. Okay. 1 Kings 18. Let's go over there. First Kings 18, you there? Okay. Let's start with verse, start with verse 20. Let's just start there. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, right? If he is who he is, if he is the I am and he is who he is, if he's God, then what do you do? To me, it's very simple. That's why it gets a little slippery when sometimes people have all these questions and they're classified. Well, I'm a believer. Not that we don't have it. We, we have to work things through. But 
under, under the ministry of Elijah, Elijah would be like, if God is God, then you, you just follow him. It, that's it, period. But if Baal is God, then you follow him. You, you can't waver. Waiting and wavering is sometimes very dangerous. The Lord is God, you follow him. If Baal is God, you follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Could you imagine? I, I think some of us, or maybe all of us, I don't think there's a question. <laughs> right? If somebody said, if God is God, follow him, we all would go, okay, here we are, let's go. Right? Nobody answers. It's like a showdown. It's almost like, ooh, what's going to happen here? Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, even me alone, am left a prophet of the Lord. Sometimes to really have true faith, and even sometimes within the walls of the church, it, it could be very lonely. We, we cannot be blind to the reality. There's a lot of religious people in churches, a lot of religious people. Some, unfortunately, have been born in the nurseries and been brought up through the, the systems, and, and we can't assume because they've been in the church all oh, that, they're, that they're, they're true and bona fide believers. And Elijah's there, and he says, I, I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well. It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Could you imagine? They're praying. They're praying and praying and praying and praying and praying until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us, answer us, answer us. Please, please answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocks them. Saying, cry aloud. Go ahead, cry aloud to your God. He's supposed to be God. Call out to him. Either is he, either, either he's musing, right? He's entertaining himself because they believe that in order to keep the gods awake, you have to entertain them. Either he's musing himself or he is relieving himself. Or he is on a journey, or perhaps, or perhaps he's what? Do you see it there? He's asleep and must be awakened. That happens sometimes in the church, people. 
It's like we got to cry out so great to God to wake him up so that he makes us revive. No, the ones that are asleep are us. And they cried aloud and cut themselves. They cut them, they even sacrificed. They cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. They prayed for hours and no response. Now, let me ask you this question. Did the prophets of Baal have a theology? Yes, they did. Was was their theology wrong? Yes, it was. See, because they thought the pagans, the gods, were going to help them. We understand that they're sleeping. They were sleeping. But the God of Israel... The almighty, powerful God of Israel, the sovereign one, the creator of heaven and earth, he does not need rest. He does not need to sleep. He does not need to be entertained. He does not have to keep himself from being bored. Whale watching. Or something or another. The Lord, the keeper of Israel, the one who keeps them, will not slumber. And listen, listen, if he could keep the whole nation, you don't think he could keep you? You don't think that he can keep you and hold you together when you think our whole world is falling apart? You don't think that he is going to keep his own? See, brothers and sisters, this, this psalm is based on an understanding of God. And the blessing and the promise comes from that, from that understanding and knowledge of God. And that's why he's able to pray and, and, and to pray with confidence and understanding with confidence that there's promises and there's blessings. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps Israel will not slumber. He's not like the gods. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And if he can keep Israel, you don't think he can keep you? I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, today. God is sovereign, all-powerful, omniscient. And all he does through his providence, and even a day like this, has providentially brought us here for this purpose. Because he knows his. He knows whose his are. There are the true sheep, and then you got the goats. And the true sheep will hear his voice, and they will follow him. So let's see who shows up at uh, men's study 
and women's study. And it's not to put the guilt trip, but it's to admonish and exhort. Because the Lord is your helper, right? He will not let your feet slip. And he who keeps Israel can keep you. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this psalm. I don't know how many times I've had to read this psalm. With heaviness in my heart, Lord. And even times of brokenness. Because we live in a world that is corrupt. And it is becoming more wicked. And Lord, even, even the church here in America is, 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 is getting, getting in a place where it's, it's troubled. And it's hard for your, your sheep to find bread to eat and living water to satisfy our hearts. So Lord, we come before you, our God, the maker of heaven and earth. You brought us here this afternoon because you want us to know you. So I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters here at the bridge. That when people walk in, they will know God is surely among them. And they will even fall down and worship you. Thank you, God, that you have graced us. We pray for the glory of your Son and the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.